This is a podcast brought to you by The Stress Times and The Business Times. Welcome to Money Hacks, a podcast series by The Straits Times and The Business Times, where we break down financial tips so that you can get started after listening to this episode. I'm Chris Lim, and I'm your host today. We're pleased to have with us today Eric Kong, Kevin Tok, and Wong Siak Ng, co-founders of Aggregate Asset Management, which was launched in Singapore in 2012, has a zero management fee model and charges only a performance fee. Eric, Kevin, Siak Ng, welcome to the show. Thanks for coming. Thanks, Thanks Chris. Please, in a nutshell, what exactly does aggregate asset management do? Aggregate asset management helps our client to invest in stocks, equities across Asia. We manage a single fund and our long-term objective is to deliver 10% returns for our client. What's interesting about us that stands out is actually we charge zero management fee. In essence, we tell our client our interest is totally aligned. If we can't make money for you, we will not be paid a single cent. We have no other form of income. Okay, equities and how equities work for you. It's about interest and specifically compounding your interest over time. Perhaps you could explain what exactly that means. How does compounding interest work? You know, if I'm just starting out, what does that mean for me? And if I'm already in my 30s or late 30s, what does that mean as well? Is it too late for me to get compound interest to work for me? Most people, when they sit down with their financial advisors and start planning about doing their retirement planning, after going through the six-step financial planning process, most people will actually feel very discouraged and most people will give up because it's impossible for them to retire. Exactly. The main reason is because when we do our retirement planning, we have to put in assumptions. We have to use assumptions. So you need to have your assumption of real returns of your portfolio and you need to have an assumption of how long you live. Especially with this day and age, medical science is advancing so fast, we know that we'll live longer. And how do we make sure that we'll not outlive our money? So just for financial concepts illustration, rule of 72 says how many years does it take to double your money? If assuming you can grow your money at 10%, you will take 7.2 years to double your money. For someone who is young, who is 30 years old today, he's lucky because he just found a best friend. His best friend will be compound interest and this best friend will help him grow his retirement money. Assuming he's 30, he has many cycles, many seven years to go. So when he starts growing his $1, his $1 will become $2 when he's 37 years old. The $2 will become $4 when he's 44 years old and go on and at age 58 or 60 his $1 will become $16 and then your interest continues to act on that $16 compounding that's what what compounding means that's what I mean by doubling effect most people know rule of 72 but they forgot that the doubling effect 1 to 2 2 to 4 4 to 8 8 to 16 16 to 32 Mm -hmm. so someone who starts very young his $1 today can become $32 very young, yeah. meaning your 20s. Yeah, for someone who is in his 30s, his $1 can be $16 by the time he reaches 60 years old. If he just follow a systematic way, not to take too much risk, I mean, we take risk because we feel insecure. We need to take more risk because we need to grow our money. But if a person is has really worked out his plan, he knows that compound interest is his best friend, he doesn't need to take too much risk, then he won't lose money. Someone comes in their early 40s, they may need to take a bit more risk than to get their money to work a little bit harder for them to make up for the lack of those years of compound interest they missed. Yeah. So, I, for example, I'm 50. I only have maybe two more cycles to go. Mm-hmm. So at 50, if I double my money in seven years, so at 57, my $1 become two. 
at 65, uh, one dollar become four. So someone who is young today, if he start planning early, in fact, most people can afford to retire. Wow, yeah. that's a very encouraging note versus yeah. the slightly depressing mood many people have after they do the yeah. financial planning. Yeah. So we talk about withdrawal rates. So of course, when you're young, you don't need to practice your withdrawal rate. So if you start young at 30 plus, you let your money compound a few cycle. And then at 50, 55 or 60, you start to draw down your 5% or 4% depending on your lifestyle. So it's still possible. Why don't you say a bit about lifestyle? So in Singapore, you be the pursuit of the three C's. You want as big a house as you can get. You want to own a nice car. You have to have realistic expectations of your lifestyle in order to keep up a good level of investment and make your money work for you, right? Yep. Does that mean that you should not buy the latest iPhone or not buy the BMW? Perhaps, if that's what you need to do. I think like what Eric always like to present about the Starbucks effect. Uh, a person who goes to Starbucks have a Starbucks drinks once a day, he doesn't understand the effect on his retirement account. <laughs> $6 per cup, $7 per cup. If you take it twice a day, mm. that's the, actually the leakage we are talking about. I see. Yeah. Speaking of leakage, can you talk a bit about fees and the effect of fees on retirement planning and on the growth of your investment portfolio? For people who are familiar with the equity investment space or unit trust space, they know they are familiar with the big names. So most of the unit trust funds out there have a typical expense ratio of 1.5 to 2 over percent. Expense ratio meaning, that's assuming these big funds are invested in blue chips. Generally, they are invested in blue chips. And you know blue chip long-term returns is about 6-7%. And as a portfolio, this is quite common sense. If your portfolio is returning 6-7% and your expense ratio is about 2%, your long-term return on this equity investing in this unit trust is about 4-5%. And that's the reason why after investing in many unit trust funds, most people start to realise that unit trust investment returns is only about 4-5%. Now, if you're liking these tips so far, do subscribe to Money Hacks on Apple iTunes, Google Podcasts or Spotify and like us and give us a rating. What else do we have to take into account when it comes to fees and other things people tend to not factor in when they're looking at these flashy numbers? Oh, 7%, 8%. They may need to discount that a bit to take into account yeah. other things. Yeah. I think when you talk about fees, when someone buys stocks, he only knows that what price he bought a stock for. Mm-hmm. He knows what price he sold it for. And mentally, he calculates his profit. Exactly. But he forgot his, uh, there are a lot of charges when he buys a stock and he sells stocks. Mm-hmm. You incur your transaction costs at the point of buying and at the point of selling. There's not only uh, brokerage fees, there's custodian fees, there's all sorts of fees. So you take that into account, this effect is quite strong, especially for someone who trades regularly. Most of the time, you end up losing money because of all this effect or all this cause. So even though back of the envelope calculations, oh, I made this much, they forgot to factor in everything over the entire investment cycle, long-term cycle. But then where do you get your confidence in delivering strong returns for your clients? I mean, and there's diversification as well. How do you make sure that your clients' portfolios are diversified? Because, I mean, there's diversification in terms of what you've put money in this. Oh, I bought some property. I bought a few stocks. That means I'm diversified. Doesn't mean that your stock portfolio is diversified. How do you make sure that your clients' portfolio for those diversified. A lot of time people say that investment is an art form, but we can actually look at investment in a very scientific 
approach. In the 90s, there are a few professors in the state. They were very curious about why certain small growth investors, those are value investing practitioners, why they can always generate a better performance, better result than the overall market. So they set out to find out why and how they can achieve that. So they look at the whole US stock market from the 60s to the 80s. They try to break down these 3,000 stocks into 10 different baskets. They rank them based on certain characteristics, such as like price to earning ratio, price to book ratio, or dividend yield. Okay, let's say for example, price to earning ratio. They will rank all these 3,000 stocks based on the highest price to earning ratio, the highest all the way to the lowest. So you can see that the first basket will contains all the highest PE ratio stock and all the way to the basket then with all the lowest price to earning stocks. Mm -hmm. And they tracked them since 1960 all the way until to the 80s, mm -hmm. mid 80s. And they found that, right, if you systematically invest in those lower basket PE stocks, the price to earning stocks, you will do better than the highest basket stock mm -hmm. in a systematic manner. It's like a periodic table. Mm -hmm. There's a trend over this period of time. That's happened in the 90s. Of course, some people argue like, look, that might be outdated. It might not be relevant to this day, modern days. So what we did aggregate, we also look at the last 10, 20 years in Asia space, mm -hmm. whether we try to find out also the same characteristic will happen in Asian uh, stocks. And when we look at those data, we also try to rank them according to the highest ratio to the lowest ratio. We split them into five different baskets and we track them over time. And it actually confirmed to us that the same characteristic also will work well in Asian stocks. That's where we find the, get the confidence if you focus on the valuation of the stocks that you invest in. So we can actually look at stock in a more systematic, scientific way rather than you know listen to your friends or brokers to give you some tips. That's where it's more of a science as opposed to an art, a hopeful art, hoping that dabbling will bring you some returns. Yes, that's right. Thank you, Sak Ying. Thank you, Kevin. Thank you, Eric. Thanks, Thanks. Chris. Thank you, Chris. And that's a wrap for Money Hacks. We hope you like these tips. Do subscribe to Money Hacks on Apple iTunes, Google Podcasts or Spotify and like us and give us a rating. That was an SPH podcast. Find us on iTunes, Google Podcasts and streaming on Google Home. Do send your feedback to podcast at sph.com.sg. You can also check out more podcasts on various topics at straightstimes.com and bt.sg. Any financial or investment information in this podcast is for use in Singapore only and is intended to be for your general information. Any particular investment or decision should only be made after consulting with a fully qualified financial advisor.